Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Bold, reverent, and occasionally random. The Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck podcast starts now. One of the services I feel I can provide here sometimes on the show is to save you time that you might otherwise waste. One of the best things I feel like I can do in a in short form or short order is to just say, hey, you don't want to watch the following. Don't waste your time with the following. And and I've got a I've got one for you today that is wow. We actually have a little bit of the official trailer for you, just so you can kind of. I think you can even hear in the short trailer. Uh, yeah, this of all the CIA entertainment stuff that I've ever seen, all the movies, all the TV shows. And yeah, people always ask me, is it real? No, I mean, the best stuff is the most unrealistic stuff, which is James Bond, MI6, you know, Q, all the rest of that. Um, right. That's the best stuff. Uh, but even some of the some of the more realistic stuff is pretty good. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty, I think, is very good for what it was. Uh, I like Spy Game a lot with Brad Pitt and Robert Redford. Uh, that's that's a that's a good watch. There are some others that I would that I would throw in the mix and say there's some. I like the Born Identity movies, even though it's all just about the CIA being bad and CIA people fighting other CIA people. It's like there's no other bad guys in the world, just CIA people who are bad. Um, but they're they're entertaining, they're slick, they're well made. So I, I like the Born films. You know, there's a whole bunch. So I'm saying this all because I don't want some some people will say, "Oh, you hate everything." It's like I don't. I just hate things that are bad and should be hated. It's very straightforward. This show, now there was a Colin Farrell movie, which I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't mean, to be, mean to be a hater. I think Colin Farrell has ruined everything I've ever seen him in. He was horrible in the Miami Vice movie. He, uh, I didn't even see the Alexander the Great movie that Oliver Stone made. No one saw that thing. I, Colin, Colin Farrell like, had a moment as an actor where he was the leading man, and, and I don't get it. I've never understood it. But... He was in The Recruit, which was about a guy, a young guy, gets pulled in the CIA. And that movie came out 
right around the time I was a young guy, I was getting pulled into the CIA. So you can imagine, I was like, oh, wow, cool. Not very good. A lot of uh, Al Pacino, hey, whoa, you're a new CIA man. Hey, ho. You know, Pacino doing his Pacino thing. Wow. Hey. So the recruit was not good when it was Colin Farrell. They've redone the recruit on Netflix. And here is just a snippet of the trailer. Welcome to the CIA. How long have you been here? Ten minutes, but you're a very busy man. I get it. You're running the whole operation. You mean how long I've been working here? About two days. What the hell is this? Every letter is from someone threatening to expose classified information if we don't help them. You're the lawyer. Figure it out. Get cute. Do your business. Get out. I'm Owen Hendricks from the CIA. We got your letter. Have you made any new friends or overthrown any foreign governments? Have you overthrown any foreign governments? Oh, boy. I got 15 minutes into this thing on Netflix. And I have got to... Like, I I would offer myself up as an advisor. I would even advise somebody just just for, for, uh, for giggles to help them make a better series. It is the worst thing I think I've ever seen on Netflix. It, the guy, I can't, the acting is bad. Nothing is, nothing looks right. Nothing sounds right. It's all, you know, the whole thing is, and you can tell it's going to get very woke. I didn't even get, I got 15 minutes into it and I bailed. I'm telling you the truth, but I was appalled by this. They've got this guy who's been there for two days in the CIA. <laughs> okay. He's like a lawyer who's been in the CIA for two days. And they're just like, yeah, we're just going to send you to a black site in Yemen. And he buys a commercial airline uh, airplane ticket and walks up to some building that he believes is the black site, knocks on the doors like, hey, I'm a CIA guy who's here for the black site. And then the CIA people inside start torturing him. And I was like, I'm out. <laughs> this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. It is honestly, it is so bad that it is comical. I I don't know what else you would put in that category of so bad it's almost good. Um, It's one of the worst. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. I mean, I I do remember back in the uh, HBO days, there was, you remember the Leprechaun series? I'm the Leprechaun, you know, Um, there, there were five of those movies. And I at one point watched a little bit of um, Leprechaun in Space. They also, that was Leprechaun 4, I believe. Leprechaun 5 was Leprechaun in uh, The Hood, which you can imagine what that was like. Uh, but I do remember watching a little bit of Leprechaun, and it was so bad that it was fascinating. I'm like, how did, there were people, there were, somebody wrote this script, there are actors being paid, there are cameras that were used for this, and it's fascinating to watch. It's it's like the the train wreck that is unfolding before your very eyes in in real time um this netflix series is that bad i might have to go back and watch a little bit more of it just because but it honestly uh it it was like a it was like a couple of toddlers or something got together and recited what they thought a cia screenplay should be like it was really really bad um remark because i've had a lot of people have been asking me about it i was at the gym friend of mine came up and said, hey have you seen the new cia thing on netflix and i go oh you know, I mean, I've been out of the CIA for a decade, but, you know, I know some things. And so I had to check it out. It is it is so bad. Um, it's very, very diverse. So it's got that going for it. Uh, that is 
The if you were trying to, and I mean this, if you were trying to find a thing that you could say that anybody would find to be positive about the show, it's a very diverse cast. That is it. That is the only thing. Everything else about it, the dialogue, it, it was. I'm just telling you, it was crazy bad. So, and I, I know what this is like. I, uh, my friend Jesse Kelly was tweeting about this. You all know Jesse, Premier Radio Network syndicated host, six to nine Eastern. And uh, I, I, Jesse tweeted out that he had he wouldn't tell me what the movie was, but he picked the whole family night, you know, family night at home movie night uh, choice. He wouldn't say what it was. I did this for Thanksgiving and I thought I was in pretty good shape with Greyhound, the Tom Hanks destroyer, as in naval destroyers, World War Two destroyer movie. Um, that movie was rightly described by one of my family members as a training exercise pretending to be a movie. If you want to have like a a guide for how the Navy does what it did in World War II, fine. But to call it a movie might be a bit of an overstatement because it did seem like they were just filming one long training exercise. And so that was not a winner. And if you're going to be the one picking the movie for movie night for Christmas... Pick a winner. Go with Die Hard. You'll never go wrong with Die Hard. I'm, I'm here to, unless you got little kids because it's a little violent. But, okay, if we need something that's not violent, that's a Christmas movie. I was so happy when I gave Clay the Monster Squad recommendation for the Halloween because that's a great kid-friendly classic monster kind of movie. No one gets scared. Uh, really, really fun movie. Um, trying to think of what the... There's a lot of good Christmas options. I think there are probably for a holiday more good Christmas movies than any other uh, any other genre. I know they've started making a lot of Valentine's Day movies, and that's such a scam, right? Because the whole point is then you got to take your date on Valentine's Day to the movies to see the Valentine's Day movie. And whatever they're doing in that movie is probably more exciting. You know, whatever gifts they're giving, and you know, it's probably more exciting than whatever any of us have got going. Valentine's Day as a, as a holiday is maybe the biggest scam. I mean, well... There's like international sock day and stuff. But, I, you know, as an actual holiday, I don't know, Valentine's Day, you get the worst service in restaurants, the most crowded restaurants. They do the prefix menu on you. Prefix menu is just French for you're going to get screwed over here. OK, that's what it's French for. They're going to give you the easiest to make, least exciting things on the menu. You get no choice in the matter and they're going to double charge you. It's kind of like New Year's Eve. At least New Year's Eve, you know, you get an excuse to drink a bottle of champagne and maybe get a little silly. Uh, probably not. a Well, maybe you do that on maybe you do that on Valentine's Day, too. Anyway, I'm just trying to save you from having to watch the recruit on Netflix. So there you go. That was my review. I do movie re- or in this case, Netflix streaming reviews, too. I, I couldn't believe how I just couldn't believe how bad it was. I don't even know how this is possible to make a movie that is wokeness ruins everything. And it is ruining. It has ruined Netflix, I think, already. I, I'm. Man, am I going to get rid of my Netflix subscription? I might. Sundays with Clay and Buck. I get all excited about this. Clay, What is if you're going to recommend one weekend read nonfiction book to somebody, what is it? Like weekend nonfiction and something that you just, you can't even tailor it to the person. You're just giving them one book that's nonfiction to read that you think they're going to like. I read a, uh, I mean, first of all, that's a broad category because I'm kind of a nerd. So I'd be like, I'm reading a book about Pickett's Charge, you know, and, and I'm like, ah, you know, third day battle at Gettysburg. I'm not sure that every person out there is going to love it. 
the the one of the best nonfiction books that I have read, and I came to this one a little bit late. The Lost City of Z. Have you read that book? No, I read the. Uh, I think it was the uh, the Lost City. Oh gosh, I'm forgetting. Um, some anyway. Do you like that book? I haven't read that one. City of the White Monkey God was the book I was. Oh, sure I read remember. that. That was yeah. great too. I'm yeah. I'm kind of uh I'm kind of an uh like you know explorer, but you're you're hitting on this because of the Ernest Shackleton. Yes. Uh, I have not I, read this this book at all that we were talking about off the so, air. So they just found it's been over a hundred years since the ship sank two miles beneath the surface of the water in Antarctica. The book Endurance is incredible it's about the shackleton voyage a shackleton voyage at the time 1914 right before really right at the early stage of, of world war one I. I think it might have been a few weeks before or a few weeks after i think I, I forget but anyway 1914 whole world was watching this thing clay it's supposed to make their way across all of antarctica and they get stuck in an ice pack on this ship and you got to assume these guys are in Antarctica. this is pre-cell phone pre-battery oh, yeah. pre you know pre-phone i mean um and these guys, man, I, I mean, I don't want to give stuff away. It's just a great read. I mean, if whether you're cuddling up next to the fireplace with a glass of scotch or you're on a hammock on a warm day, reading about what these guys went through, you'd be like, at least I don't have to go through that. So Endurance is the book, and they just found the ship. It's actually well-preserved. I, I, I've never recommended this book to anyone, Clay, who wasn't like, that's a great read. I need to read it. You were talking to me with uh, talking about it off air with me, and uh, I also love reading those books because to your point you're hanging out by your fireplace or you're in a hammock it just brings home how small and this is why i think studying history is so significant in many ways because it brings home how frequently we get obsessed with relatively small challenges when we've overcome massive challenges as a country yeah imagine trying to chase an elephant seal with a harpoon across an ice flow it's month four and you've dropped 30 pounds already you know what i mean yes. like that's a tough day yeah it's a little bit tougher than uh than than some of the challenges that uh, that we are told every day are overwhelming in this country my we iphone my iphone freezes clay and i have <laughs> yeah. i have a panic attack it freezes for five seconds and it's five seconds of hell sunday sizzle with clay and buck Welcome back to Clay and Buck. We are joined by Dana Perino. You all know her, former White House press secretary, host of The Five and America's Newsroom on the Fox News Channel and New York Times bestselling author. Her latest book is Everything Will Be Okay. And Dana, I, I guess I could just start with that one because I don't know right now with the Biden administration, it feels like a lot of things might not be okay. Exactly. That's why the title hooks you in, because everybody wants to know, is she is she serious? But I am serious. Yes, I know that it sometimes feels, I mean, every day I wake up and I think, surely they're going to get their act together. And uh, no, uh, no, they don't. Dana, first of all, it's great to have you on the show for the first time. You came down Thank to Nashville. You. Uh, your book is fantastic. Uh, we had a good time. My wife and I did hanging out with the, you and your husband some, so you need to come back to town soon. Um, what has the experience been for you like? Because you, you, you have such great relationships with people in the music industry as a part of, uh, of, of your job. What impresses you? You get to talk to a lot of people on Fox News every day, but that seems to also translate into the entertainment industry, particularly with country music. 
What do you think the overlap yeah. is between country music and Fox News, and why are those two groups so comfortable? Oh, that's a, it's a great question. Interestingly, I started in radio. Uh, I was a country music DJ I had in no college. idea. But, yeah. Yeah, working, I worked overnights for minimum wage because back then, if you wanted to get into television, you had to start in radio. So I thought, well, I want to do my radio experience now during college. So KCCY FM uh, was gracious enough to let me give it a try. And so I grew up with 90s country, and I love 1990s country so much. Then I was at the White House for almost eight years. I only listened to radio. Uh, talk radio, uh, everything from Rush Limbaugh, of course, to NPR, because we, we were, I really, I still believe that radio is king when it comes to public communications. I think it's just absolutely critical. Of course, cable news. We agree. As well, but <laughs> I think talk radio, I know you do, but I, it, and it really is true. If you really want to make sure that people are hearing you and you, and you, you two have found that you have a deep connection with your audience. So I think that with country music being so committed to the lyrics and the story. That is one thing. The other thing is that you have a lot of people who start off in very humble beginnings. A lot of people go through a ton of disappointment in Nashville in particular, right? It's just you you try and you try. I'm sure you've met people who have written songs for 17 years before they actually get a hit. But there is magic in the climb and in the stories of resilience and I also really admire how closely knit the country music industry is. I know there are exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, there's a lot of support. And I feel the same way at Fox News. I really love the team that we have. And so I hope that that transmits to our viewers and to their listeners, I hope. What do you think about the, 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 the way the media landscape may change here Dana, with uh, I think just today it was reported that Elon Musk is going to be the interim CEO of Twitter. So that's that is moving along. It feels like in a variety of ways. I mean, that's obviously on the social media front, uh, but just the the with the rise of all these different digital uh, digital platforms, Fox Na- Fox Nation, obviously among them, that things are changing, and people have also realized that. Uh, Left-wing dominance of some of these platforms not only is it uh, I think bad from a content perspective, it could be bad for the country. So are, are, are you hopeful that we're going to head into a better place uh, in the near future in terms of having more parity on the airwaves? I am hopeful. I'm also cautious. Uh, I do remember when I was White House press secretary the, the, until the last day in 2000, January 2009, when President Obama was inaugurated. And on that day, I didn't even have a Twitter account or a Facebook account. And that's how quickly, from 2009 to now, these platforms have just grown so exponentially. I do think it's pretty interesting just how few Americans are actually on Twitter. But a lot of the media is on Twitter, and they're reinforcing each other's viewpoints. And that is where I think it got us into real trouble. When I think the best example is the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story. You just look back now and think, how could that possibly have happened? And now that story is aggressively in the mainstream, and the New York Times is having to quote the New York Post. So that is changing a little bit. I'm hopeful that Elon Musk can bring about some change and at least maybe some sober-mindedness. And well, then we'll see you know, how it goes. I'm also, one of the things I talk about in my book is that you know, social media can often be a drain on your energy, and it's not going to help you in your career necessarily. 
So I'm encouraging young people to kind of like a step back and be very mindful about what they're posting because your future boss cannot unsee that. There's no doubt. Uh, the book, by the way, we're talking to Dana Perino. Uh, she's on The Five. She's also America's new- Newsroom. You know her from Fox News. Everything will be okay. That's what I was going to ask you about is the eight years that you spent in the White House. You're talking about the different ways that you consume media. One of the biggest challenges, I would imagine, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, uh, whoever you're serving and whoever you're working for in administration, is trying to figure out what matters in a day where everything is kind of coming at you in a fire hose effect. How much more difficult do you think it is, no matter what job you have in politics, to figure out what actually matters, what's actually true, and how to manage your day on a day-to-day basis today than it might have been 10 or 20 years ago? That's very interesting, and I think a lot of it comes from the top. So whoever that leader is, the commander-in-chief, that person um, has instincts, right? They got there for a reason. And I would say I think that my boss, George W. Bush, uh, had, was, that, was able to do that. You know, he would be able to say, all right, and we'll deal with this, but no one's going to think about it in three weeks. So he had his finger on the pulse. And, of course, you have advisors that tell you that. President Trump is very good at it because he knew. Now, I don't think, and maybe this is just a little bit of my own bias, I don't think that President Obama or President Biden are very good at it at all. Because if they were, then they wouldn't have such dismal polling numbers on the question, do the, does President Biden care about the issues I care about? His numbers on that have been very low from the beginning. And so, for example, everyone's talking about inflation. What did they spend three days talking about this week? Student loan debt and then Roe v. Wade. Yeah. They're not talking about inflation. They're avoiding it. And avoiding the issue that you know everybody is dealing with every day because they're going to the grocery store, the restaurants. They're filling up at the gas tank and they're upset about it and they avoid that. And avoidance is not a very good strategy and it shows in their poll numbers. We're speaking to Dana Perino, former White House press secretary, best-selling author. Her new book, Everything Will Be Okay. I'm going to have to get a copy because I feel like I go to bed every night thinking, oh my gosh, what's the country <laughs> going to come to? These libs are out of their minds. The commies are running amok. But Everything Will Be Okay is her book. You can get it on Amazon. Dana, you are also, like me, a, a dog uh, lover, and you Very have, much. is it a, is, it's a, I want to say, it's not a Weimaraner, or is it a Weimaraner? What, what kind of dog do you have? It's a cousin to the Weimaraner. It's a Vishla, so a it's Vishla. the Hungarian version. So yeah. see, I'm always fascinated yeah. with this because, like, my family, uh, we have a French bulldog. I grew up with a Boston Terrier. These are very, very common breeds. How did you come upon? Because I'd, I'd say a, probably like eighty to ninety percent of our audience has a dog. I, I, I would just throw that out there. I'd guess. How did you come upon Vishla as the choice? I'm just curious. I've always wanted to ask you this, and now I'm taking my chance. Well, it's a great story. So I met my husband on an airplane. Uh, he's 18 years older than me and British. And I lived in D.C. at the time, and he was in England. We fell in love on the plane, believe it or not. It is true. That was 25 years ago. And I moved to England, and he wanted – we both wanted a dog. He wanted to get a black lab, and I sort of cringed at, you know, having to clean up all the shedding of a black lab, even though I love all dogs. And I really wanted a Weimaraner because I loved those William Wegman photographs, if you remember. Um, they were in all the calendars, and there were books about them and greeting cards. So we just weren't in a hurry, and we happened to be in Switzerland, and Peter had to visit a client. I got to go with them, and we arrived, and there was a three-month-old Vishla, and then an eight-year-old Vishla, and a 12-year-old Vishla. So it was like we saw the progression of what a Vishla would look like. 
and they're extremely affectionate and athletic, which I really like, and only have one coat of fur, so they're quite sleek looking. And that was it. You know, we fell in love with the breed. And so we have now Percy. He's our third. My, that's funny. My brother's dog is named Percy. Um, he's got a Pomeranian. Oh, really? Should Clay get a Vishla for the boys, Data? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, well, wait, Clay, what kind of dog do you have? Cats. Well, yeah, this is I, this is a cats. sore subject, Dana. We've uh, got okay. uh, we've got two Bengal cats, which are non-shedding cats. My wife okay. is a huge cat person, and I don't I don't think I told you this, Dana, but during the the shutdown and everything else, when the kids were out of school, Laura assigned them my wife one day to give me a persuasive speech on why we had to get cats. So my you oh, know, then kindergartner, so my uh, my fourth grader, and my seventh grader, all one after the other, made a speech on why we had to get cats. And by the end of their persuasive speech, Dad had been outvoted, and so we have two cats. And do you want a dog? Uh, look, I've got three kids, uh, Dana. I feel like they are uh, like <laughs> play- they're they're like dogs time ten in terms of the mess that, that they make. Yeah, that's and true. I guess you know the, the would- thing is, as we get closer to Mother's Day. The boys don't get blamed for the messes as often as the dad does, it seems. You know, yeah. the apple may not yeah. fall far from the tree, but, uh, but so our house is kind of chaotic at times. I, I just have a, I, I have a saying that I made up that a boy needs a dog and a dog needs a boy. But that in particular for boys growing up with dogs, there's something about that companionship and learning of the responsibility. And also they become more compassionate people. I, I think that's probably that's my true. Own theory. Uh, mm-hmm. It could be a Vishla puppy in the Travis household <laughs> at some so point in the future. Play. Uncle Buck's I mean, going to show up with a dog someday. Oh, man, I know. That, yeah, you think you're getting a steak if Hunter Biden gets indicted, Clay? You're getting a Vishla puppy, buddy. That's how we're going to do this. Dana. By the way, Dana, I was going to say, sorry to cut you off, Buck, but I wanted to mention this for you. Dana Reed's sports needs to be a regular part of you and Bill Hemmer's show, by the way. I saw the clip uh, recently of you reading sports headlines, and I got to tell you, that is gold, and you guys need to break it in as often as you can into the repertoire. I will let the, the producer know. The reason it started is because every Bill's very good at reading sports. Um, but after about six months of us working together, at one point I said, you know, guys, I would love a shot at reading sports. And it became this hilarious thing. And I don't pretend to know what I'm doing, but I really try to give it my all. Yeah, I <laughs> love so, it. So thank you for noticing. The book is, it's all going to be all right. Everything will be all right. Dana Perino is the author. Go check it out. Dana, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Great to have you on. Congratulations to the two of you as well. Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck. You played in the Little League World Series as a kid up in Williamsport, right? That's right, and uh, it was the type of thing where we, at the beginning of the season in Dunedin, Florida, our motto was uh, WWT. We wrote that on the bottom of our hats, and that was for We Want Taiwan, because Taiwan at the time was the juggernaut, and they would win the Little League World Series I remember. more often than not. And, you know, it then it then came out years later that, you know, they were winning 12-year-old Little League World Series with 14-year-olds, but nevertheless, that's just the way it was. And so that was kind of our goal. So we started from the district tournament, sectional state, southern regional back then was Texas all the way to Virginia and the entire 
Southeast, so 13 states, and there were only four American teams that would make it back then. And so that was a huge, huge undertaking, and we made it. And we didn't end up uh, playing Taiwan, but it was a, it was a heck of a ride. And just as now as a parent, yeah, my kids are five, four, and two, so the two oldest have played t-ball. Okay, and they both like it, and they're gonna they're gonna want to do it probably uh, uh, going forward. But you do appreciate how much the parents have to put in to these seasons. I mean, we were practicing every day. You're traveling around the state for all these tournaments. It's like you know, all our parents had to work and do all that stuff, uh, but you basically go along for the ride. And so you don't really have summer vacation plans when you're in the heart of Little League uh, summer baseball on the road to Williamsport. Preach it. I'm in the middle of that right now. Uh, now, I'm curious, do you still have VHS tapes of that run? When was the last time you watched something from your Little League World Series team? You guys ever have any reunions or anything like that? So I went uh, last year. They asked me to come for the Dunedin Little League closing ceremonies, and that was the anniversary. So this is 2021. It was the anniversary of our Little League World Series run. And I, when they asked me to do it, I'm like, yeah, man, I can't believe it's been 20 years. They're like, no, 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 Governor, it's been 30 years. I was like, oh, man, time flies. But so we had some of my teammates were there, and, um, and we were able to do that. And then we were able to speak to, obviously, all the current players and the families and whatnot. So that was a neat thing. And that was the same fields that I played on back uh, when I was a kid. Back then, we had Dunedin National, which is what I was. You also had Dunedin American. They've since um, added those. That's just one little league now but it's interesting when i was 11 uh dunny national we lost in three games and we were out so very quick all stars and no, no you know didn't have really much of a chance but dunny american was one game away from williamsport they lost in the southern regional championship so that kind of gave us the the notion that hey maybe we can do it when our when we're 12 and so we ended up uh doing that but we had uh, Dunedin American one game away from going in, two, in 1990, and then Dunedin National, my team, made it in 1991. So pretty incredible for one relatively small municipality. I think, by the way, you also played at Yale, and if I'm not mistaken, George Bush Sr., wasn't he the Yale baseball camp captain as well? Am I wrong, or is that a, an overlap so he there? Was the, he was the ba- Yale baseball captain in 1948, and so he had already served in World War II, and then oh, wow. he went to, to college after that. And back then, Yale would go to the, the College World Series. You know, they were, they were a, a good program, but the most iconic picture in the history of Yale athletics is Babe Ruth, coming to Yale Field to get an award from the Yale baseball team and George Bush 41 uh, gave uh, uh, Ruth the award and Ruth he died within like a year so that was like one of his last public appearances and so that's something that's kind of reverberated now I was the baseball captain in 2001 there and it just so happened to be Yale's 300th anniversary so they did this big jubilee in the spring to kind of celebrate that and Bush 41 was kind of the featured speaker so he was in town for that and he asked to come and meet with the baseball team and so I was getting ready to go out to practice so Yale Field is is not on the Yale campus you kind of got to take a bus it's in West Haven Connecticut and so you you go they'd run buses from the athletic department out there so I'm getting ready to go on the bus no different any other practice the athletic director yells for me he's like hey are you get, are you gonna go out to practice I'm like, yeah. he said get out there hurry up hurry up and I'm like it was weird why would you you know care with it so people were like asking me about practice like it was this big deal well I get out there to the field and there's all these guys with suits and the ear pieces in kind of like in the bullpen area and I'm looking at myself I'm like this is really weird so my coach called me over and he's like listen he's like you see those guys out there with the suits 
their Secret Service agents. George Bush 41 is here. He's like, you tell all those guys before he comes here, do not drop any F-bombs in front of the <laughs> former president. And so I was like, okay. I, I, but he came out and basically just started, um, you know, talking about, uh, you know, our season and everything like that. But I thought that that was really, uh, that was really nice of him to be interested in, in coming out there. And this is a guy that obviously had, had done a lot um, in his life. And he was a really nice guy. And at that point, you know, I was somebody, you know, I was a blue-collar kid from the Tampa Bay area. I end up there playing baseball. But I had never really met anyone that was that, was that well-known. And so it was kind of an interesting thing. But since I was the captain... I welcome him to Yale Field, introduced him to the team, and we had, uh, you know, we kind of had a powwow session there uh, all the way back in 2001. Are there pictures of that or video of that? I don't think I've seen it. I, you know, it's interesting. There definitely are pictures somewhere. So it was the the local paper in New Haven, the New Haven Register was there, and they were taking pictures. And so I remember after that happened, uh, one of the guys at the athletic department was like, you need, you should get that picture, send it to him, he'll sign it to you and give it back. But you know, I was I was graduating, I had all this stuff going on, so I just never did it. So so they, they are out there somewhere. Um, they may not be on the internet, but, but they're definitely there probably uh, within the newspaper's archives. There you go, APB. I bet we've got people who could track that down. We'll see if we can find somebody out there to uh, to find that. Now, uh, by the way, how would you assess your baseball? Uh, if if you were a scout, what would you have said about Ron DeSantis, college baseball player? How would you have assessed your game? You know, I mean, I was a good Division One player. I think I uh, I, I had three thirty six. Um, my senior year, I always hit them. I was a four-year starter. I always hit in the middle of the lineup, third, fourth, fifth. Um, I stole. I think my coach actually. I had him come when I was running for governor, and I had him do. Uh, we did a rally, and I had a bunch of people just speak, like people I knew from the military or Congress, where they, hey, you know, Congressman DeSantis, great guy. Here's what I know about. Him. Well, he spoke about um, about coaching me and everything, and and he he had the crowd in the palm of his hand. These are like 500 activists down in Boca Raton, and he said, now listen. People asked me was a good player. Here's what I'd say. I calculated his career stats, and I calculated Bush 41's career stats, and Congressman DeSantis hit 100 points higher than George Bush 41, and everyone started <laughs> laughing um, about that. So, um, so, so yeah, it was fun, but it was interesting. Uh, the, the guy that succeeded me as captain of the Yale baseball team uh, was a fellow named Craig Breslow, who's a left-handed pitcher from Trumbull, Connecticut. And um, you know, he got drafted, I think, like the 15th, 20th round. He, he got released after a year or two. But then he, he got hooked up with an independent ball. He started throwing in the low 90s. He ends up in double-A with the Padres. And lo and behold, as a left-handed pitcher throwing 92, you know, you're one call away from the big league. So he ends up in the big leagues a few years after he graduates uh, from Yale and he ended up playing 12 years. Fast wow. forward to me getting elected to Congress in 2012, and people know that I'm friends with him, and they know that we played together. So these, these reporters would ask me, they're like, um, yeah, your friend Craig Breslow playing baseball, you know, for the, I think he may have been for the Red Sox then. He's like, uh, he's like why didn't you play um, in the major leagues? I was like, if you think... I was good enough to play in the major leagues, and I would choose Congress over the big leagues. You're nuts. I mean, of course I wouldn't be in Congress if I, if I could do it. So, But it was interesting to be able to see that, and, and he ended up having a really good career. And I think other than Ron Darling, he probably had the longest uh, uh, pro baseball career of anyone that, that has played at Yale. I, the reason why I bring up baseball, obviously, and I appreciate you coming on with us here as we get ready for Memorial Day weekend. Uh, maybe you can share your Memorial Day weekend plans with your family and whatnot as well. But you've got baseball cards that are out and you're raising money, which I think is a really cool idea. 
uh, based on autographing those baseball cards, and it's a limited edition. Explain where the idea came from, what is on these cards, how people can get them. Well, Clay, we've sold so much merchandise. I mean, people love the merchandise. We have Fauci pound sand flip-flops. We have these t-shirts that have all the lockdown libs that have visited florida and all this stuff and it's fun and we raise money and it helps spread the message but you're like you know maybe we should do some stuff that people would actually be able to keep as a memento and so just growing up i did the baseball cards and so what we decided to do is we have a normal baseball card so it's me in college a picture of that and that's numbered one to five hundred just typical card then we have numbered one to twenty five an autograph version and then we have numbered one to ten an autograph with a relic. Uh, so they actually cut up my old uh, pair of uh, black boots and they put a piece of that in there because that's what they do nowadays. They can yeah, put a yeah. piece of a bat or a jersey or all that stuff. So we ended up doing that. And, and so those are, um, those are being sold. And, you know, people are doing, you know, thousands of dollars for the relic autograph. So we, so we have that. We're also going to do – so when my, my staff was like, Governor, we need to get those boots. They need to do it to make the cards. I'm, lo- I'm rummaging through my closet – and I found a handful of pairs of these old desert cami boots for when I served in Iraq. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, maybe we do something with that. So we're going to also debut in the not-too-distant future a, uh, a Governor DeSantis Iraq War Edition where I'm in there in, in the desert fatigues, and they're going to do the relic is going to be pieces of the desert cami boots that I, that I wore when I was deployed back in 2007. So those will also be an autograph. I think those will be numbered 1 to 10. So, you know, these are people that they want to contribute. They want to help the cause, uh, and that's great. And, you know, people can go to, like, my website, rondesantis.com, and just give, and that's fine, and people do it. But for them to be able to get a little bit of a memento, I think people really like it. And we are. These are limited. We're not going to just produce a bunch of them because they lose their value. So, so any collector could know we're very sensitive to making sure that these are limited edition. Did you have a favorite baseball card? Last question for you. When you were a kid growing up, was there one you were most proud to have? Did you collect? Of course, 1989, Ken Griffey Jr. My favorite, too. My favorite two, yeah, upper deck I, well, number I would also one. Say, I mean, the, the first one that was really big for me was the Don Mattingly 1984 Donruss. I mean, that was like the hottest thing ever. I had to find, I searched far and wide to get that. I did get it. It wasn't in great condition, but I did get it. But then when the Griffey came out, I mean, that was just there. And so, you know, I still have some of those Griffeys. Uh, me that too. I have. Some of them are in very good condition. I've got some PSA 10s. And so we're going to just keep those. Um, you know, I would never, I don't think I could ever sell them. I mean, it's just, it just is what it is. And so, so yeah, that was, that was kind of the, 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 the epic rookie card. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.